Welcome to Market Scale Pro AV. I'm your host, Sean Heath, and today I have the privilege of having a conversation with the president for Telemanagement Resources International Incorporated, Dr. S. Ann Aaron. Ann, how are you today? I am fine, Sean. Thank you for asking. I hope you're also doing well. I am. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Now, I know that you have told this story three or four times probably throughout your career. Could you give me the 60-second version of the journey of Dr. S. Ann Erin and what brought you to found this company? Absolutely. I am a prodigy of the Bell System, AT&T and its family of companies. And when I started with them in sales, they gave every salesperson a pet product. They gave me the portable conference telephone, which was the first commercial offering by AT&T in the conferencing space, so you could have a conversation with people at a distance. Then as I was doing my graduate work, they gave me information related to picture phone meeting service, which was the first commercial offering in the video space. And I did some studies related to that. And in the early 80s, I had a vice president come to me and say, you have both an academic background and a business background. Why don't you hang out your own shingle? And it just happened to be when video conferencing was first introduced into the marketplace. And there wasn't anybody out there doing anything consulting-wise in that space. So I hung out my shingle, and my first clients were the telephone company, the aerospace industry, and the federal government, because they were the only ones who could afford the technology. So let's talk about, just briefly, your PhD. Now, you have a PhD in business, speech, and communications. It seems as if you might have been destined, if you believe in that sort of thing, to do this. You're perfectly qualified to do what you're doing. Well, let me just correct you. I have an interdisciplinary PhD in business, speech and communications, and education. And the reason I make that correction and distinction is because it was both the business side and the education side that propelled me to do more business, speech, and communications with clients. So yes, I guess I was destined to be doing that. And it was at the auspices of the telephone company who were gracious enough back in those days to pay for one's education. Well, that's always a pleasant thing and something maybe you send them a nice fruit basket at Christmas or a nice thank you card. <laughs> uh, your professional career has basically been communication. I'd like to talk today about the two primary benefits that I see as just a normal person, the efficiency and the time that can be saved, but also the money that can be saved. So please, if you would, expand upon those two very rudimentary ideas. Well, I think there are a number of benefits, and the first that people latched onto was actually saving on travel costs, which we eventually proved to be, in some cases, funny money. Although many people would say, I no longer have to put people on planes or trains to travel from point A to point B, what they found initially happened is that people were going to disparate sites and still spending travel. The real benefits of the technology became productivity enhancements and efficiency enhancements. So how can I either squeeze more hours into my day or get a product to market more quickly or solve a business problem more quickly? So those became the initial. The huge drivers of the technology, unfortunately, became the bad things in the world. We had a flood. We had a hurricane. We had a terrorist threat. We had bad weather. Those became a lot of the drivers as to how people became adopting these, because if they weren't 
the bleeding edge people who adopted up front, they became the laggards who got dragged along because they were forced to when they needed to find a way to communicate. Now, that brings up an interesting point, because when most people think conferencing, teleconferencing, they think corporate America or the corporate business world, not necessarily America. Um, but you see this as something that can be beneficial across the entire human population, not just in corporate America. Oh, absolutely. I, I, there is no longer an industry out there today, and I don't care whether you're talking business, government, or education, that is not using these technologies. To the point that in some instances, people using video, no longer call it video conferencing, they're doing a video call. A lot of people don't even know what the term video conferencing means anymore because it's become so ne second nature. And a part of this, we have to thank Steve Jobs for with the Apple iPhones because people all of a sudden began to realize I can not only talk to people on a phone as I walk around, I can see them. And not only do I see them one-on-one, -on -one, I can link them together in a call so that grandma and mom and dad and the kids are all seeing one another from three or four different sites. I always find it fascinating when technology creates these advances that then become the norm. I'm always reminded of the transition from silent movies to what were at the time called talkies. And today we would say movies. And you just pointed out you video conferencing is really just it's a video call. And I wonder if we're going to get to the point where a phone call ceases to be pictureless. Well, maybe for those under 30, but they seem to be more video centric than those of us over 30. I think there's a time and place for video. I can't stand being in meetings when they all have to be on video, especially if I can't see the people properly. And if video isn't adding anything to the call, for instance, if I'm in a meeting with people and I'm actually sharing data and looking at content and I don't need to see their facial expressions, there's no point to me in the value of seeing video unless I need to see their reaction. And the mistake a lot of organizations make is that they think all group meetings need to be video, but they don't properly either enhance their room or use the technology so that those of us at a distance are seeing people in miniature without any clue as to who's speaking or what reaction they're making. So it's good when it's applied properly, but it's not meant in every circumstance. There is a lot of data that is transmitted via communication, but there are some instances where seeing someone raise their eyebrow doesn't necessarily add to the conversation. Absolutely. And yet in other cases, I, I had an individual once say to me, I loved using video. And I said, why? And he said, because I could watch him sweat. I knew he squirmed. And yet I didn't have to take him out to dinner afterwards. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, culturally, I was speaking to somebody in Europe from the United States. And had I been located with them, it would have been proper for me to go to dinner with him afterwards. By using video with him, I knew I didn't have to talk to him again till the next day. And it had a much bigger impact on what I said to him. There is a very big cultural divide that I think is being addressed or confronted even in the fact that this technology is becoming so universal. So go a little further on that when you say there's a cultural divide. Well, as you mentioned, for example, if let's say you were having a, a conference call with someone in Spain and it's two o'clock in the afternoon 
well, that's siesta time. That's all businesses closed down. Let's go out and have a nice lunch. Whereas, as you mentioned, the ability to have that conference call might free me from the local social customs that would present themselves if I were, in fact, present in that location. But that might cause the Spanish-based consultant to alter the way that they perform their particular side of that transaction. That's, I think that might be dangerous. That's, that seems like a homogenization of maybe just a local culture or local custom, especially as business becomes more and more technically advanced around the entire globe. Well, I think the thing you really need to look at here is the issue of age as well as the issue of technologically the way we're working. Now, we expect things to be instantaneous. I send you an email, I expect an almost immediate response. Uh, same is true with using the phones and the technology. We have a lot of people, once again, in the over 30 age that say to me, if I'm on a video call, I should be paying attention. I should be looking at the monitor. And I say to them, when you're on the phone on a conference call, are you looking at your phone the whole time? Are you paying attention? Or are you multitasking? I said, I'm willing to bet in most of the meetings you're in, when there's a group of people on a call, you're looking at your email, you're filing things, you're writing things, you're not staring at the phone. Same is true when you're on a computer. You're not staring at the computer the entire time you're on a web call or a call you're just sharing data and, and audio. So I think what's happened age-wise, um, youth have at the point where they have multiple technologies going at the same time. And if somebody needed to see me on video or say to me, Ann, would you pay attention to what I'm showing you? I'd say, sure, and I'd look up and pay attention. So we've become at the point with these technologies where we've got to all say to ourselves, how instantaneous do we have to be? And at what point in time does one technology have value over another? And I think what happens nowadays is we come to either the least common denominator that works for everybody, or we set a level of expectation amongst the participants as what do you need to be doing when we're on these technologies? And we've had people say to others, Put all the phones down. I want you looking at nothing but the monitor. As someone who has the ability to have a 30,000-foot view of technology, period, do you find that one of the biggest challenges is training different mindsets in proper expectations for the technology as it advances? Oh, absolutely. And it's not just a technology issue. It's an environmental issue. And by that, I mean, we see a lot of people that deploy technology in conference rooms, in huddle rooms, in classrooms that don't think about the environment in which it's placed and forget to really listen to the noise from the air filter, to the noise coming from the outside windows, to the fact that you can't get up and walk around the room necessarily and hear everybody at the distant site. And so what I'm saying is, We've got to not only be technology-focused, we have to be environmental-focused. What's the lighting like? What are the acoustics like? What's the heating, ventilating, and air conditioning like? What's the environment like? If we're in a video call, how are we placing people around a table so they're equidistant away from the camera? And a lot of people miss that point, and I get complaints from people that say, this technology doesn't work. When we look at it, we find it's not the technology that's not working. It's the environment in which it's been put. It sounds like you have the opportunity on a consistent basis to draw upon the knowledge you have about the 
concept of communication and everything, every aspect that plays into effective communication. I would never tell my daughter something incredibly important at, you know, an amusement park on a roller coaster. And it seems like you have the opportunity to present that knowledge to your clients and customers on a consistent basis. Well, we do. And I think the issue we're trying to address with them is they've got to sit back and say to themselves, what is it I'm truly trying to accomplish? Not, oh, a vendor came to me and said, to deploy this technology because you're going to love it. Or I saw it in an airplane article magazine, or I have a colleague who's using it. And I think the mistake a lot of organizations make is to assume, and we know what that word means, that any technology deployed is going to work for them as well as it worked for someone else. So what I'm saying is people need to step back and say, let's look at our specific needs and our specific way that we work before we adopt a technology and not assume that all technology will work for all environments. Now, you are a management consulting firm, so you're well-versed in all of the technologies that are out there. You, I believe, describe yourself as vendor agnostic, which I love that phrase. As someone who really doesn't have a horse in the race, how do you see the industry changing from your non-biased viewpoints in the next couple of years? What big changes do you see coming? I think the biggest changes are the users are starting to get it, meaning that in the past it had been pulling teeth to get people to adopt some of these technologies. I think in many cases, the consumer environment is pushing the business environment and pushing the academic environment to get it because the technologies are changing so rapidly. But I think we're getting to the point where it's becoming second nature to use these. What's not becoming the point yet is when to use which technology for what application and how to look at your environment to make sure that it's proper for the technology. So we'll get complaints from people that will say, you know, this, uh, this isn't working. And we'll, we'll say, well, what do you mean? Let me see what you're talking about. Well, it's not that the technology's not working. It's that they either haven't been trained properly on how to use the technology or the environment in which they've placed it has not been set up properly. So I think going forward, we're going to see more people understanding, much like you treat a media room in your home, that there's some things you've got to do to be effective with these. Does not mean to say you can't roll them in and have them work, but you've got to be cognizant of the weekend. We find 60% of the people adopt everything. Well, it's the, the two ends you have to worry about, the laggards and those who are way ahead of everybody else. Without naming names, I would like you to tell me the absolute worst environment you have ever had to go into to establish a conference capability. And then let's go to the other end. Tell me an environment that you went into that at first you thought there's just too many roadblocks, there's too many speed bumps here. And ultimately it turned out that it gave you the motivation to come up with a great way to roll out this technology into that environment. And there was a, a real nice synergy that came from that. Well, the very worst environment I ever went into was a police precinct that had a video unit inside a metal cage the minute you walked into the room, in fact, into the precinct, with a light bulb over the top of it. 
And the complaint we were getting was that the video was not working properly and for some reason kept breaking down. The bottom line to it became that that particular organization was taking overtime pay away from police officers in that precinct. And so they were subterfuging the technology as best they could. Ooh, that's sneaky. That's probably the worst situation I've ever been in. I'll give you another one that I think strikes to the importance and the ease of which this technology can be deployed. I was sent to a corporate entity you would know well and asked to treat an environment in what I thought was a lovely building until I saw where they wanted it put and realized with that particular lesson that anybody can use this technology anywhere. And I was driven into a parking garage in a building in Paris, France. And as we got out of the car to go upstairs, we never went upstairs. We went to the back of the parking garage. A door was opened, and it was four walls of cinder block, a cinder block ceiling, and a concrete floor. And they said to me, and this is where we're putting the technology. And I laughed. I said, you're kidding me. And they said, no. And I said, well, why? They said, we're only going to be in this space for six months more. We need the technology now. We have no more conference rooms to put it in. You need to treat this room so that we can do video in this room and communicate at a distance for six months. So it ended up being quite luxurious, but quite inexpensive in that we went out and got a piece of carpeting for the floor. We got draperies and hung them all around the wall. We painted the ceiling white. We took an off-white sheet for the tabletop. We put a slide projector screen behind the people. And we put floor lamps from a furniture store just out of line of sight of the camera to beam light off the ceiling. That room worked flawlessly. And it took them about 10 minutes to tear it down and go away to the next room. You could work on movie sets. <laughs> Easily. The way that I would have approached that is I would have said, well, we're in Paris. Can we go up on the roof? Let's get the Eiffel Tower in the background here, which explains why I am not the president, founder, or CEO of Telemanagement Resources International Incorporated. Well, I think the bottom line to your listenership has got to be now is the time to deploy all of these technologies. They're not as difficult as you think. Just be wise to make sure that you're selecting the right technology for the right application, and that people know what they need and how to use it effectively. Well, today I have had the privilege of having a conversation with Dr. S. Ann Eren, the founder and CEO and president of Telemanagement Resources International Incorporated. And thank you so much for taking the time today. I really have enjoyed this. You're very welcome, Sean, and I hope you learned something in the act as well. Yes, ma'am, I absolutely did, and thank you for that. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.